Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to me, but who's listening to you? Or watching you. When you look at new emerging technologies, facial recognition, voice recognition, drone technology, other elements of artificial intelligence, we're all surveilled from the moment we leave our house, from the moment we wake up inside our house all day. Court decisions in the last few months have put a spotlight on the use by the police of facial recognition and AI, and the former surveillance watchdog has raised the alarm. His concern is actually that police forces and indeed private companies are actually operating in the area of surveillance now with far less scrutiny and regulation than MI5. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Surveillance Britain. Do new technologies make us safer or create a new privacy nightmare? Or both? Remember the summer? That's when today's story begins. Back in August, the Court of Appeal heard the first successful legal challenge to police use of live facial recognition technology. And now the outgoing surveillance watchdog is warning there may be many more stories like it's still to come. We'll hear from him later. First, Times Crime and Security Editor Fiona Hamilton on that landmark legal case. It was brought by a chap called Ed Bridges, uh, a guy in his late 30s from Cardiff. Now, his face was scanned uh, in 2017 when he was out Christmas shopping in Cardiff. A few months later, he was attending a peaceful anti-arms protest, and again, he was scanned. And he got in contact with Liberty, the campaigning organisation for privacy, and they brought this challenge against South Wales Police and their use of this technology. He argued that by storing his biometric data without his consent, his human rights had been breached. Now, initially, he 
lost that case in the High Court, but the Court of Appeal overturned that ruling and he won on a few key points, namely that his human rights had been breached, largely because there was no clear guidance on where the technology could be used by the police. And judges felt that the list of who was being put on these watch lists was too broad. How, how did he know he'd been scanned? Mr Bridges was alerted to the police using this technology when he saw a van that was marked AFR technology when he was on his lunch break and then again later at the the peaceful protest. So he reckoned it's been in one place where I've been, it's been in another place where I've been and may have been filmed, so maybe they've matched me up and so on, so I'm going to find out and object to it. Yes, and I suspect he also wanted to find out how widely they were using this technology because at the beginning of this sort of process, I don't think the public were aware at all of how much facial recognition pilots were going on and how much the technology was being trialled. And we we still don't know the extent of its use in in Britain, actually, at all. But but it's interesting that the vans were actually marked with AFR cameras, so everybody knew that they were there, which is presumably the condition under which they're using it at the moment. Yes, exactly. So if somebody wants to go up to the police and ask them what they're doing, I don't imagine that they would be secretive about that. If you didn't notice them, would you know that it was going on? There's probably no way. Interesting. So uh, essentially, the initial court had said, no, the police acted reasonably in this and there's no case to answer. And the Court of Appeal said, well, actually, we do have a worry here. And so we're going to rule it as having been illegal. But as I understand it, even the appeal court's ruling effectively said, yeah, but this is a pretty useful technology. So all we're really talking about is some of the safeguards on its use. Yes, that's right. They absolutely did not say use of facial recognition technology should be outlawed from this point because it's too intrusive. What they were effectively saying is this is useful technology, albeit quite intrusive. You need to be very careful in the way that you do that and you need to be proportionate. And it probably also should be uh, authorised at a pretty senior level. We are learning, we are developing, and, and there are actually people being taken off the streets who are wanted for offences or have an appeal at court as a direct result of the deployment of this technology. South Wales Police say the measures keep football fans safe and are intended to prevent disorder. It has trialled the technology, now it's to begin using it for real. Scotland Yard says facial recognition cameras will be vital in spotting criminal suspects and missing and vulnerable people. Let's talk about the principle of the technology. Uh, Now, forgive me for being ignorant about this, but my imagination had been that the facial recognition technology picks you up in one place and stores your image, and then it picks you up in another, and it just says to each other, oh, this person's been in both places. Uh, I didn't realise there was such a thing as a watch list. No, so the way the police use the technology is they'll draw up people on a watch list. So you can imagine that might include criminal suspects, could also include missing people. And then at a particular event in a particular crowd, they will use the technology to take images of the people in that crowd. They compare them back to the images on their watch list. Different police forces use different technology. In the Mets case, they measure the structure of each face, such as distance between eyes, nose, mouth and jaw. And that's how the technology compares the faces. If there is a match, an alert is sent to officers who are at the scene and they will decide whether they want to intercept that person and have a chat to them or not. 
as far as you know, where are we currently using facial recognition uh, and the software with it in the UK? Uh, using it in Wales, obviously. Uh, you've talked about it being used in the Met. Where else? This is the really interesting thing about all of this. You're talking about a pretty intrusive technology and it, it really isn't that clear how many police forces are using it, how often they're using it and where they're using it. Campaigning groups have done a series of freedom of information requests. There was one that suggested that about eight of the 40-odd police forces in England and Wales were embarking on facial recognition trials of some kind. But there isn't a central place where you can go, and it's partly because of the disjointed nature of British policing, but you can't find out where this is going on and exactly what's happening. I mean, police forces aren't particularly transparent anyway, if you ask me, but that's probably a whole other podcast. Now, we've already got loads and loads of CCTV. We're famous for the amount of CCTV that we've got. So why do police tell you that they would now like to add facial recognition to what they've already got? Well, if you look at traditional CCTV, so that obviously doesn't have the technology to go back through it and match people to watch lists or match certain scenarios. And that's what they're arguing live facial recognition technology gives them the opportunity to do. So it's it's much quicker than humans. It can scan large areas and it can scan large amounts of people. And in a lot of these cases, it's areas they simply don't have the humans to cover. I suppose if you thought of it in a simple example of a major pop concert at an arena and there was concerns about certain people in the crowd, facial recognition, does it instantaneously. And that's why the police are so keen to get involved in this area. Let's cut a bit to the chase here. Has anybody said to you that something like what happened at the Ariana Grande concert might actually be avoidable if you'd been able to feed this guy's face in and it'd been picked up by a camera at the time? Well, I thought you might ask me about that and I've been thinking about it because if you look at it on the face of it, this technology could be incredible for something like the Ariana Grande concert. Imagine if you had intelligence about somebody and you feared they were going to be carrying large explosives in a large backpack and you fed that into a camera and you were able to cross-check that against a watch list of suspects and you might have come up with Salman Abedi. But the problem with that alternatively is that MI5 and police did have intelligence about Salman Abedi, not for the night in question, but generally with his links with terrorists. And also he was seen by concerned members of the public who alerted police officers on the night of the attack saying, hey, that bloke over there has got a big bag and I'm a bit worried about him. And he wasn't intercepted. So I'm not sure that this kind of technology would change that outcome. Now you talk to police directly. Do they express a kind of keenness on it for you? I mean, when they talk to you about it, do they say this would really help us? Or do they just say, it might be marginally useful? No, I think that police are really keen to use this. You're talking about an era of funding cuts. They've got less officers than ever. And they see technology as a really helpful shortcut. Sometimes I just worry a bit about whether there's enough transparency. I mean, I could tell you about an absolute cracker that blew my mind in Greater Manchester Police a couple of years ago. The the Trafford Centre, which is the area's biggest shopping centre, gets about 30 million people through a year. They had been using live facial recognition technology for six months, scanning every single person who went in and out without any of us knowing about it. And not only that, it wasn't authorised at a senior level, like an assistant chief constable. It It was authorised at lower level. 
levels. So in some cases, a security, a well-meaning security guard was potentially deciding who to put through a watch list. I don't think they ever said exactly what they were trying to achieve, but one might imagine at the lower levels they were looking for shoplifters and maybe, I guess, at a higher level, outbreaks of violence or something like that. But, you know, there is a strong argument there that that kind of surveillance is disproportionate with what you're going to get in the end. But privacy campaigners say the move is a stain on the new government's human rights. 60 politicians, academics, barristers and campaign groups are calling on police forces and private companies to stop using live facial recognition technology for public surveillance. Never before have members of the public been treated like walking ID cards subjected to an ongoing police lineup that our identities have to be biometrically checked to make sure we're not criminals. Well, given all that, I imagine that there's been a significant amount of pushback on it from civil liberties groups. Liberty is one of them. They think that facial recognition technology just shouldn't be utilised by the police. There's real concerns that innocent people will be stopped and arrested because the technology might misidentify people and I suppose in a worst case scenario result in wrongful convictions. There's concerns about police record keeping. Now, police do say that if you're on a watch list and your image is, isn't matched, that will be discarded. And then all the innocent people that they're catching during these operations, they don't keep their images beyond a certain amount of time. But there is concerns about that and it's not as open as it should be. There's issues of bias because multiple studies have shown that algorithms are less accurate at identifying non-white people and black women in particular. Uh, and there's also a proportionality point. If you scan thousands of people to get a handful of shoplifters, was that worth it? So that's a proportionality argument. One of the things that kind of sticks in my mind here as we discuss this is the discussion that we had over who should stay on the DNA database, because it became a very kind of similar thing. You've got all kinds of people who are on the DNA database. The police say it's incredibly useful to have this data. And people say, particularly civil liberties group, well, we don't think that this data should be kept. So is there any way, just as our chap in South Wales did, you've seen one of these vans or you've seen a camera about, you now know that they've got facial recognition technology and not just CCTVs, and you want to find out if you've gone onto the database and whether you're being kept there. How would you find out and how would you get yourself taken off if you could make a case that you shouldn't be there? Well, the police are very insistent that they will not store your biometric data beyond the time that they need it to check against the watch list. But the wider question really, I suppose, is do we need more regulation in this area? Do we need more understanding in this area? Because I think for a member of the public to learn about this at the moment would actually be incredibly difficult. After the break, the former surveillance watchdog on his worries about just how unregulated all this new stuff is. Meanwhile, get to the heart of the stories that matter, like this one, every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, I think that brings us probably quite neatly to Tony Porter, doesn't it? So... Who is Tony Porter and can you tell us a bit about why he's worried? Tony Porter is the Surveillance Camera Commissioner. Yes, I was appointed Surveillance Camera Commissioner back in 2014 by the Home Secretary. It was a global first. It was So he has been appointed by government as an independent person to oversee this area. There was a feeling that there needed to be a tighter grip on the regulation and oversight and here I am. The problem is that Mr Porter, who has just left his post feels that there's not enough teeth. And how would you describe your powers? What can you do to police forces who are seen to be not performing properly in this role? Should police local authorities fail to demonstrate compliance to a code of practice that I oversee, then that can be adduced in a court of law, which could be hugely problematic to a police force or a local authority. So it's quite persuasive. But what I don't have is the ability to intercept, interdict, to stop surveillance. All I do have is the power to provide persuasive advice. And also, I guess the former Lord Chief Justice said to me, what more powers do you need than the power to embarrass? But the watchdog doesn't really have any teeth. And that perhaps is something that needs to change. His other big concern is that the regulatory framework for this kind of stuff is just not good enough. It's really complicated. It hasn't kept pace with technology. Do you think the public are aware of the extent that they're being monitored at the moment? No, I don't think they are. And actually, I don't think they can be. The nature of surveillance has changed significantly, even over the last five years. The power of it is capability, it's capacity. But more important than that, it's all interconnected. You've got automatic number plate recognition, which is arguably one of the largest non-military databases in Western Europe. That, that is right across the UK and tracks our vehicles. We have dash cams on many, many private uh, roads throughout the UK. We have drone technology that is, is up and operating. We have ring doorbells that often permeate into the public space. And then, of course, coming online, voice recognition uh, facial recognition, which is a key issue at the moment, and then algorithms that can connect those different surveillance platforms to others. That whole mass of new data starts to create new information. When you say, do you think the public really understand what's going on? No, I don't. His concern is actually that police forces, local councils and indeed private companies are actually operating in the area of surveillance now with far less scrutiny and regulation than MI5. 
which is quite an extraordinary statement to make. How could that? How could that be true? How can they be have less surveillance than the Secret Service? Well, MI5 obviously are going to be able to do more in certain spaces, but they're very heavily scrutinised. So there's the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act, and that oversees the use of intercept and other very intrusive surveillance that is bread and butter for our security services. Mr Porter is arguing that when you look at new emerging technologies, facial recognition, voice recognition, drone technology, other elements of artificial intelligence, we're all surveilled from the moment we leave our house, from the moment we wake up inside our house all day, and yet there isn't that level of scrutiny for all these other areas of society who are utilising that technology. Databases of custody photographs taken of a prisoner that uh, has been brought in over the years is now capable of being hooked into an algorithm that supports a facial recognition camera that might be deployed at a sports ground. And these are cross-transfers of data that will allow the police not just to see a picture of a face at a sports ground, but to understand if that face has been elsewhere, if that face has been in a vehicle, if that face has crossed a cell site for a mobile phone. This is almost as powerful as the covert surveillance that MI5 use. MI5 conjures up all manner of notions of covert and spying. Well, of course, that is what they do. But MI5 are subject to a very tight lock of judicial oversight in terms of how they manage those amazing powers. So there is a debate to be had, and I've actually called for an independent review to make sure that we don't sleepwalk into that classic phrase of surveillance society. I was finding it interesting what you were saying, his only real power was either advice or embarrassment. In other words, he can't actually turn around to a police authority or somebody else doing that and say, if you carry on doing that, then in that case, you're going to get fired or you're going to get fined. No, he absolutely can't. And I did ask him whether or not fining should be an option. He says they are keen to do the right thing, but they don't really know what the right thing is. That's very interesting, isn't it? Which is, this is not a kind of element of big state wickedness. This is just people saying, oh, this is quite interesting stuff. Let's see if we can use it here and let's see if we can use it there without really quite being aware of what the implications are always. I think that would be a pretty fair summary of how the police or some police approaching it, yeah. I think they're sometimes a little bit surprised that we all get so upset and concerned about them using it when Google and Facebook are monitoring and recording every element of our lives with even less scrutiny. And I suppose the argument that the police always make is, but even if we get it wrong sometimes, we do have a genuine interest at heart, which is keeping the public safe. The other problem is quite a few people associate this kind of technology with some of the most authoritarian regimes in the world. I mean, for example, we know that one of the places where facial recognition technology is being used most widely is in China. Yes, and the Times ran a really fascinating piece earlier this year by our Beijing correspondent. And there was one piece of facial recognition technology that was just astounding, where they were putting these cameras on the street and using them to catch jaywalkers. And first of all, if you were caught jaywalking, you'd get a text message to your phone informing you. And then secondly, they were initially being shamed where their images were being instantly put up on a big screen. <laughs> Although the piece did say that they took that down after a while. So perhaps it was so unpopular that even the authorities felt they couldn't do it. But 
Nobody, I think, in this country is suggesting that police forces are going to start using those kinds of intrusive techniques. But people are alarmed about this sort of stuff, that they know where it can go wrong and they want to make sure that if it's done in this country, it's done right. I look to China, I look to their surveillance state where citizens are given points in, in exchange for how good a citizen they're determined to be. Facial recognition picks them up if they cross the road at a particular space. Is it not time to do a check-see on where we're at in surveillance in the UK and make sure that we're moving forward in a way that the public are happy with and that it simply isn't imposed upon them by the state or the authorities acting on behalf of the state. Quite apart from imagining that if you suddenly get a text to your phone while you're jaywalking, tell you you're jaywalking, you might very well walk into a truck. There's just the kind of there's just kind of feeling that the capacity of the state to find you at all these moments and so instantaneously feels incredibly uncomfortable. I've been covering this area for a little while, and police forays into artificial intelligence generally are speeding up, and they're doing more and more. And I wrote about a predictive program based in the West Midlands, and it was an AI program designed to predict serious violence, and it had boasted of a 75% accuracy. Hmm. And it assessed people coming into contact with the police, and they were first-time offenders, but they'd never committed uh, a violent offence. And it assessed their life likelihood of committing a violent offence later on in life with a knife or a gun. And it wildly overpredicted them. And <laughs> they had to cancel the whole programme because it was so inaccurate. And it's not hard to see how that could have a very tangible negative effect on somebody's life. We are almost into minority report territory there, and it's quite uncomfortable. If you don't get this right, you will have negative consequences on people's lives. I remember all this discussion about CCTV. And people were going on and on about how much CCTV we had and civil liberties groups went on and on about uh, CCTV. And then instead of CCTV going away, we just personalised it so that cyclists put it on their helmets and people put it on their dash cams and so on. And that debate seems now to have completely gone away. Don't you think there's a chance, actually, that we'll all have facial, be utilising facial recognition technology (laughs) in one way or another in everything we do? That's entirely possible, you know, and I think that With every new technology, there's a lot of concern and controversy and probably largely CCTV, the argument could be made that it's been a force for good. I I know that there are campaign groups who would say, just get rid of this altogether. I'm not, I'm certainly not in that camp. I can see massive use for this technology if you're tracking down missing people, potentially tracking down violent criminals. So actually, in the end, what we're moving towards here is the question about significantly greater regulation which takes into account this new technology and lets the police and everybody else know where they are and we don't have it yet. We don't have it yet and it does come down to the fact that you could be entering a council swimming pool, you could be going up to a building with cameras on their ring doorbells, you could have a drone flying overhead of you as you're doing your shopping or whatever the case may be and the people who are operating that kind of technology are operating under less scrutiny than the intelligence services and that is the situation that Mr Porter says is happening at the moment. He is the best placed person to know and I think that there is a very strong argument for change in that area as a result. 
You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Times Crime and Security Editor Fiona Hamilton. We also heard from former Surveillance Camera Commissioner for England and Wales, Tony Porter. And you can find all of Fiona's reporting at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was James Shield, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.